Hey everyone, it's Ariel Hawani, and I wanted to let you know that each and every week I'm part of a great program called the Ringer MMA Show. I host it alongside two absolutely brilliant minds. Their names, Chuck Mendenhall and Pete Carroll. And every Thursday, a new episode drops where we preview the weekend in mixed martial arts and react to all the biggest news. Plus, after every UFC pay-per-view, we give you a post-fight show. So this is what you have to do. Just follow the Ringer MMA show on your Spotify app so you don't miss an episode. We'll talk to you then. It's Off the Pike, presented by FanDuel. April showers bring a loaded sports calendar, and FanDuel is the place to bet on it all. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page in the Pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. We'll get to the Patriots later. Jamie and I will give you our picks, also our NFL picks in general, getting ready for the pillow fight on Sunday between the Patriots and the Chargers. Cannot wait for that one. But before that, we got to get into the Celtics team. They are 14-4. and They clinched a spot in the in-season tournament. And joining us now, it is Michael Pina from The Ringer. Pina, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm fantastic, Brian. How are you, man? I'm doing well. I'm feeling good. Got a nice little five mile run in this morning. Not a humble brag or anything like that. So I'm feeling I'm feeling good right now. And also I'm pumped up. The Celtics are in the in season tournament. I'm pumped to be talking about the Celtics and not the Patriots until later on in the pod. So I'm in a good mood, man. So I thought we'd have you on. You and I would run through some things we like about the Celtics. And mostly we like a lot of stuff about the Celtics. And then also some things we have questions about. So I'll start it off with something I like, and you're not going to be surprised by this, Pina. The Derek White under the radar great year again. So he has been awesome. He was, I thought he was fantastic. Everybody was against the Bulls, but there was a stretch where he just completely took over there in the second quarter where basically you could have scored like 15 consecutive points off of Derek White, what he was creating for the offense. But just some numbers on White. Players averaging 13 points or more on fewer than 10 shot attempts. Here are the guys. Jonas Valanciunas, Mark Williams, Jared Allen. Those guys dunk and play in the post. And Jalen Johnson, who's had a really good season for Atlanta. He's dealing with an injury right now. And Derek White. So three bigs, a wing, and Derek White. That just sort of tells you how efficient he's been. Now, I mentioned the other day, like the assist numbers with him on the court are through the roof. The Celtics are outscoring teams by 15.4 points per 100 with White on the floor. That's via cleaning the last 98th percentile. The on-off differentials in the 90th percentile. The Celtics have a 120.9 offensive rating, a 105.5 defensive rating with him on the floor. And his finishing is better. 
He's at 73.1% at the rim via cleaning the glass, which is just great numbers as a guard, 73rd percentile. Pull-up threes have been good, 37.9%. It's a small number, but nonetheless, he only takes nine and a half shots per game. He's the only starter under 11. I would like that to go up. Like, he's fifth in usage rate among the regulars. And look, you would expect no higher than four, but I look at it now, 17.3% is lower than last year in terms of his usage rate. He's tied with Drew for the team lead and assists at 5.1. And one of the things I just keep thinking about is the non-Tatum minutes, right? So if you look at it on the season, just 99 minutes without Jason Tatum on the floor with Derek White on the floor and 384 with Tatum and then 109 with both. But if you look at the 99 minutes that he's played without Jason Tatum, 117.2 offensive rating and a 7.1 net. So the reason I bring this up, and Derek White's been awesome and all that, first of all, I think you need to use him more, and I think you need to use him more in the non-Tatum minutes. So if you look at White and Jalen together without Tatum, it's 87 minutes. It's a plus 9.6 net rating. So I think one of the solutions, and even like Jalen and Porzingis, no Tatum, just 47 minutes with Derek White in that lineup, it's a plus 13.4. Jalen and Porzingis without Tatum and White, 33 minutes minus 18.5. Now, we're still dealing with somewhat of a small sample size here, but one thing I think the Celtics need to do, I still don't think, and this is going to be crazy to hear, I don't think they know how good Derek White is. Like, Derek White, I think, should be running the show more often than he does. One thing that you brought up before the season on the pod is just one thing you want to see Jason Tatum get better at is his playmaking. I still think some of his decisions aren't the best. He had some reckless turnovers in that game against Chicago. I think they need to play through Derek White even more. And all the numbers, the reason I list the impact numbers and the lineup numbers and all that is just to show you like this guy is the solution in the non-Tatum minutes. So I know they love Tatum and Derek White playing together. We all do, right? I mean, these are Two unbelievable players. But I think like when we're looking at staggering minutes, I think White is the guy they get to stagger minutes with more than like with Tatum, more than Jalen or Kristaps. I think Derek White's the key to running the offense when Tatum's not on the court. Uh, So what you're saying is that they the Celtics totally screwed up with the pick swap. They should have never pick swap with the San Antonio Spurs a couple of years <laughs> ago. <laughs> you remember when people actually thought this is a bad trade for the Celtics? Well, I'm like, first of all, come to regret that one. Yeah. Have you seen Josh Richardson play at all? Like that was the first part of the equation. The second thing is like nobody had seen Derek White play, right? Like the majority of fans are like, wait, this guy can't shoot the three. And eventually he he always had that teardrop, too. That's another thing I think he's gotten back this year. But yeah, the pick swap. I don't think I'm going to regret that. (laughs) Uh, He's he's great. Like he's having a fantastic season. Um, Really answering any doubt that persisted if any did about him being a point guard on this team him coinciding alongside um or coexisting alongside drew holiday uh just really no friction there particularly on the defensive end i think he's been amazing kind of picking up where he he left off last season um i i'm not even like i don't really even feel i need to push back too much on what you're saying i do think that you know uh, if you were to like, I think part of what makes him so special and efficient is just how he plays with other guys and who he is, is like someone who doesn't 
Like he's never going to be a guy who averages 23 points a game and shoots 40% from right. three and takes, you know, 19 shots. That's just like not who he is. I don't think he could maintain the efficiency or the effectiveness if that's what his role was. His role right now, I think, is just like absolutely perfect for who he is. And what I've really liked so far this season, and it's kind of happening more and more, are the ball screens that he sets for Tatum. The slips into space, and then he makes a play out of it. Those are, you know, you you mentioned the uh, the rise in their assist rate when he's on the court versus when he's off, and it just like sequences like that where he just makes something happen. Particularly like there's bailout sequences. There was a couple in the uh, the Magic game where he kind of bailed Tatum out coming to set a ball screen, slipping into space with a uh, you know a couple seconds left on the shot clock and making something out of nothing something good out of nothing so i just think those are kind of the sequences where he's extremely valuable um and then yeah the shot making the aggression is really good to see from him um and yeah he's he's terrific i i like i don't think he'll be ever an all-star and i i just also don't think that like matters at all um and yeah, I go back to one thing that Greg Popovich said. This is from like a couple of years ago when, or it could have been last year, they were talking about Derek White succeeding with the Celtics. And he's like, some guys come into the NBA and they don't know how to play. He knew how to play and he just had yeah. to basically develop his skills. I thought that was a great quote because to your point, like those slip screens would take them. It totally tells you like the smart player he is. Like he always makes the right play. And I think that is, I think that I think he's like the most trustworthy guy on the team in terms of he's not going to turn the ball. Even Drew, he'll, he'll throw some passes sometimes. You're like, Where is that thing? Like, what what was the intention with that pass? I mean, I love him as a player. This is not like me criticizing Drew, but I just trust Derek White with the ball. All right, Pina, you got something you like to start the season? Sure. Um, I've got a few things. Um, I'm going to keep it simple. The starting five. I know that it's not active right now because of Chris Stapps's, uh calf injury, but plus 27 net rating, great offense, great defense, high volume. Um, the assist rate has been ticking up since the beginning of the season when it was kind of worrisome to me how low it was. Where like uh, with that unit and then overall they were like at the low 50s for assist rate, and some of that is how they're defended. And how teams were trying to figure them out. And some of that is just new players and um, on board trying to learn each other's tendencies and that sort of thing. And some of it is selfish basketball. Um, but generally, the spacing is just absolutely like I don't I don't think there's any answer for how to defend this group when they go five out with Chris Stapps. And I think like the partnership that Chris Stapps is, and I'm like stepping on one of my next things that I like, I'm, I'm sorry, but like the partnership that Chris Stapps has with everyone is on the perimeter is just amazing. Um, and so you add like Drew sacrificing, Tatum sacrifice, like everyone's sacrificing when they do in that lineup, it is truly unguardable on offense. I would like to see a little bit more you know, getting downhill, finishing at the rim, getting to the free throw, free throw line, that sort of thing. But then defensively, they've been amazing, and there's really no weaknesses there either. And I think, I think like people, I keep seeing people say like they're kind of small this unit. I just I disagree with that fundamentally because like Derek White and Drew Holiday, if those are your two smallest players, quote unquote, like you're in terrific shape your center seven three tatum is a legitimate power forward in the nba given his size and strength and jalen brown is just a natural wing so 
I think they're pretty interchangeable, actually, on both ends as a unit. And it's the best starting five in the NBA still. And it's just a shame that Chris Dapps has been out. But I don't, like, they can close games. They can obviously start games with this group and just blow teams, like, out of the house. Um, it's, just, it's just an incredible five-man unit. It's kind of clicked right away, and that's really, really positive to see. Yeah, and it's a great point, too, on the size because... Drew can guard up. Drew was covering Embiid and Drew. Yeah, they've had him guard fives. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and he can cover Giannis. So you basically have one guy that is truly point guard size in Derek White because Drew Holiday guards up. Even if he's only 6'4, he can guard much bigger guys. He can guard bigger wings as well. So I'm with you on that. And going off something you said there, because the starting five has been awesome. I love it. I think these guys, like, it's a lot of fun. To your point about Chris Stops, like, he's clearly having a ton of fun playing for this team, even when he was doing the other. The other night, he's doing an interview with the broadcast. You could tell he just enjoys being a Celtic. Him and Jalen Brown have this like great relationship where they drive back from road games together. Like when they land the plane, like they live in the same building and all this. So that's really cool. And they're trying to build up some chemistry in terms of their two-man game. But you mentioned there in terms of the free throw line stuff. So this was one of my questions now that you mention it. So, and these numbers were entering Wednesday. We're recording early on Thursday. So if I'm off by like a percentage point or something like it kill me i guess but that was too violent now shoot me now that's still too violent i I don't know (laughs) i don't know what i'm trying to say here but anyway so they entered wednesday eighth in offensive rating 116.9 which is really good half court offensive rating is good so the three-point attempts first in the nba the makes is first tied with dallas they're 14th in percentage the two-point attempts last in the nba and they're second in two-point percentage at 57.8. Your point, the free throws, they're 21st to 21.3. Points in the paint, 25th. Fast break points, here's one that I'm interested in, is 13.4, which is 17th. Now, a big part of that is they don't force turnovers. They're 28th in forcing turnovers, so 25th in points off of turnovers, right? And then you look at the fact that points after misses, they're just 13th in terms of points per possession after a miss. They're 18th in pace after a miss. Drives per game, they're 29th, and they're 7th in field goal percentage. So because of all that, you only get 24.4 shots per game in the restricted area, 21st. That's not a great number, of course, 21st, but they're 6th in terms of their percent in the restricted area. Now, the one thing they are doing more than last year is the post-ups, 9.4 a game, which is 3rd. Tatum has been great there, as has Porzingis, and they're 2nd in points per possession out of the post. But... Looking at that shot profile and some of the other stuff that I mentioned there, the lack of attempts at the basket, the lack of attempts in the free uh, at the free throw line, and the inability to get out in transition because you're not forcing turnovers. Does anything there concern you? Because they've still been, for most of the season, a top five offense just outside that right now. Does any of that concern you? Because I think the one thing I will say is Tatum's been much better like in and we'll get to Tatum later, but in terms of his post up game taking over or dominating smaller defenders his fadeaway game his fallaway game like he's been much better when it comes to that but does any of that concern you that they're last in the nba in twos they don't get to the free throw line they don't get out on the break they don't force turnovers do you see any of those things right now like one area perking up i'm just looking at my my google doc here things we have questions about number one offensively will they be able to up their free throw rate and or at rim shot frequency how about finishing (laughs) with an above average offensive pace or an offensive rebound rate um, and then I go. I wrote in my doc the numbers that you just had about fast break points, points in the paint, points off turnovers, second chance points. I think that 
Um, you can definitely like win at a really high level, even if you're not ranking high in any of those categories. But you should probably up yourself in one or two of them. And I think like forcing turnovers, I feel like that should be higher than it is when I watch them play and how they yeah. play. And, you know, from, you know, full court pressure, picking guys up at half court with like a press or like a trap. Um, it looks like they really want to force turnovers and they have guys on their team. Drew Holiday is the big addition who's like excellent at that. So I feel like they're not even playing conservatively and to rank as low as they have um, while not fouling, which is a really good thing and something that, you know, I'll take being, I think they're first in defensive free throw rate. So I'll take that and I'll take the fact that they're rebounding the ball like excellently on the defensive glass, but forcing turnovers and getting easy buckets, I think, for this team is, is it would be nice. I don't, I don't know if it's critical for them to do go where they want to go, but for how often they talk about it and how often they talk about pace um, to rank as low as they do in transition frequency. Um, I would just like to see a little bit of an uptick in some of these categories, whether it's, you know, they, they're excellent transition defense team, um, but they just habitually rank like near the bottom or, or below average. I should say they're 19th right now in offensive rebound rate, but just creating more second chance opportunities as well would be like terrific for this team. And if you, if you look around the league, offensive rebound rate, like that's kind of a, just an opportunity that teams have been taking advantage of this year. Um, and so crashing the glass a little bit more, like someone like Jalen Brown, I feel like should be crashing the glass more than he does. Um, um, someone like Derek White, who does do that a, a good amount. He's really effective at it. Peyton Pritchard, obviously an excellent offensive rebounder for his size and position. Um, but I don't, I don't know if any of this like super concerns me. I do think that the fact that they're first in three point rate this year, but last year they were as well, but they were second in corner three point rate. And this year they're like 19th or something like that. Mm. So they're just taking a lot of threes non corner above the break. And they're not really making them at a rate that's terrific. And when you just consider the spacing that they have, this has been said ad nauseum by a lot of like really smart people who watch the team. But like, get to the free, like drive the space, take advantage of the space in different ways. They settle so much. Um, Jalen Brown in particular settles a lot, and when he's hitting his threes and when he's hitting his pull ups, like it's just a barrage, and there's really nothing you can do as a yeah. as an opposition. But when they're not going in. Um, it's pretty troublesome and they kind of keep other teams in the game. So I, I, again, I, I don't think it's like a, an Achilles heel or anything like that, but they could definitely, there's definitely room for improvement. I'll say. Yeah. And I think if you asked Joe Missoula, like maybe he wouldn't tell you everything, but if you asked him like, which one concerns you the most, it wouldn't be the free throws. I don't think because of the fact they're still winning the free throw battle because what you brought up is they don't foul, right? They're yeah. like the opposite of watching the golden state warriors who foul every play. So they still win that battle. They win the three-point battle, which clearly he wants to win. I think the big concern for him would be, and I still don't understand why they're not a better running team. I guess part of it is not forcing turnovers. I think that would be the one because those are, that's the low-hanging fruit. And that's why I think they've tried to go after the offensive glass more, even if it's not that successful. And I really like that idea of Jalen doing it more, especially because there are possessions where he ends in the corner. And that's a place that you can crash from. Peyton Pritchard, 
You mentioned it. This guy's an unbelievable offensive rebounder. Like, you look at the numbers. They're at 20.1 second chance points per 100 with him on the court. The Magic lead the league at 18.1. Like, And then when he's off the court, they're at 11.4 second chance points per 100. That would rank 28th. So basically, is Peyton Pritchard this generation's version of, a version of Moses Malone? Like, is he just that much of a difference maker on the glass? It's crazy to think about that he's had that much of an impact. And if he can do it, I'm not trying to take anything away from Pritchard, but if he can have that type of impact, and look, some of these numbers were 18 games in, they can be misleading at times. But if you watch Peyton Pritchard, you notice notice it. The guy's always crashing the glass. So I'd like to see that become Jalen Brown, to your point. Derek White does it a bit, as you mentioned. But if Jalen Brown can do that with his size and athleticism, it's going to be even more impactful than what Peyton Pritchard can do. So that's something maybe the offensive rebounding can help them in terms of getting extra possessions and whatnot. All right, the next thing I like, 12 pounds. And that's the weight that Jason Tatum put on in the offseason because he's using it, backing guys down. Post game, 55 possessions, 71 points. That's 1.29 points per possession. He's 25 of 39, 64.1%, 94th percentile. He's at 3.1 possessions per game, which is 10th in the NBA, up from 1.4. I think they could even go into that a little bit more. And he was efficient last year in the post, but even more efficient this year. So that's one thing I really like. And also, he's got that, I alluded to this earlier, that fadeaway game, that fallaway game, where it's so pretty, like that Kobe turnaround that he has. I never think that thing is not going to go in. And a lot of times, it doesn't even hit the rim. It just goes right in. His drive game is super efficient. This is something I wish he would dig into more. And we mentioned this with the team in general, 8.6 drives per game, which is a low number, but he's 54 of 88, 61.4%, also been to the line 30 times. So that's been a big thing. If you look at that field goal percentage, if you look at the guys this year, like the only guys with at least 150 drives that have a better field goal percentage than 61.4% on drives, the only guys are LeBron and Giannis, like two of the biggest freaks in the history of the NBA. So that just tells you how good he is there. Now, the one thing, the pull-up threes, they've actually gone up to 5.8 a game from last year where it was slightly under 5. And the percentage is 31.7%. Last year was under 30. So those numbers are not good, obviously. The catch-and-shoot numbers are really good. He's at 44.2% on threes. Last year, those numbers were good, too, at 40%. So that's the one thing that I would say is if you look at the pull-up threes, only Luka has taken more, 104. Halliburton's third. Luca shoots 40.5%, Halliburton's at 43.7%, and Tatum's at 31.7%. By the way, his long mid-rangers, via clean of the glass, really good numbers, 54.3% compared to 38% last year. Now, that's not a pull-up two-point game. That's more of his fadeaway game, his fallaway game. And then his rebounding has been outstanding. If you look at points plus rebounds, he's tied for six in the NBA at 36.5. So I think everything for Tatum has been really good. He's still really not the playmaker that... I thought he'd have a better playmaking season, not to say that it's been bad. And he does have that wing to corner pass, which not a lot of guys have. But I still don't think he sees it as well as maybe he will next year or the year after that. But my biggest critique, because he's been awesome and and the post stuff is impactful. The drive game's outstanding. My one critique would be, I wish, and we talked about the numbers, like the above the break threes for the team. Like, I think he can cut that down a little bit, like... He's unstoppable when he gets moving towards the basket. So that would be my only critique of Tatum this year is I, I feel like he still takes too many pull-up threes when he's a good three-point shooter. He's not a good pull-up three-point shooter. I think that it's an okay shot, an okay enough shot when you just look at the 
um, you know, his shot quality on step back threes. And when you just watch him play, sometimes the matchup is um, or the, just like the situation of, of, you know, time and score or just like where the shot clock is. And you're just like, I'll, I'll live with that. Sometimes he has a big on him in the floor space and the paint is clear and he takes a step back three and you're just like, why? why? Um, like sometimes it goes <laughs> in and it's it's terrific. But like, I feel like as just an uns- as an MVP candidate, there's still just room for improvement there in terms of his mentality. And I understand like he plays a ton of minutes and it's exhausting to just drive to the basket every time and get fouled. And sometimes he doesn't get the whistle. And then, you know, it, it that that sort of messes up their... Um, their transition game going the other way too. Um, having someone like that not in, a, in an ability to kind of get back on defense, whereas with a step back three, he's and the rest of the team is kind of well positioned to do so. So that's a, a positive. I haven't looked at the numbers to really verify that they're better in transition defense when he takes a pull up three or anything like that. But um, my thing I like is kind of touching on what you did, just like his isolations. Um, I, you know, they're at a career high number in volume. They're up by about three per game from last season. The evolution of him as an ISO scorer, they're up by, they're like doubled from what they were in 2020. And just, he is so unstoppable in space. And there is just no one. I mean, Jonathan Isaac did a pretty good job, I will say, in that magic game um, with help. But he is just unstoppable one on one. There's just very, very, very few guys who even bother him. Um, on ball and as you said uh really nicely the you know the step back twos the the sidestep twos the turnarounds from the baseline um i feel like the aggressive and the assertiveness when he has a matchup that he likes and he's hitting those shots like 52 percent, like you said on long twos this season i don't know how sustainable that is if that is sustainable then he's just a totally like i you know being in the regular season and, and taking these shots, sometimes you kind of shake your head, but I feel like these are shots that he will need in the playoffs and the Celtics will need in the playoffs. So I don't yeah. mind them so much. Um, that's the part of his game when you are, you can't be so reliant on the three point line and you can't be reliant on getting to the basket. And if you have someone who can knock down those shots contested or otherwise at a pretty high clip, that's a great weapon to have and something that has separated champions in the past. So, um, I don't really mind those looks. They've looked really good just aesthetically and they're going in and like, you know, there was this one play in the Hawks game where like Joe Mazzula nearly dislocated his shoulder, waving it, uh, Namiyash Keita to get out of the way and move down to the baseline instead of setting <laughs> a ball screen. So Tatum could go one-on-one against AJ Griffin and he just absolutely cooked him for a layup. Like that is superstar stuff. Um, put him in space, like one, four and, he can't be guarded. So I like that the volume is going up on those ISO plays. Um, I also wish that he would get off the ball a little quicker than he does. And um, I forget who the opponent was, but there was that game. Who did they lose to where Jalen took that three um, with like 32 seconds left? They lost the was game. Was that the Minnesota game? The Minis- No, 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 not the Minnesota. It was more Charlotte? recent. Th- Charlotte, Charlotte, Charlotte. Um, you know, Jalen was killed for taking that three. And it wasn't, you know, Chris Tapps was open and under the basket for a blip of a second, and he probably could have hit him. Um, but when I rewatched that that sequence, like, 
Tatum is the guy who should have gotten the ball to Jalen like two full seconds sooner. And he didn't really read the coverage as well as he, well, frankly, he should have. So um, those are the plays that he's still, I think he's still an above average passer and above average playmaker. Um, But his assist numbers in general, I would like to see be a little bit higher, but like, when you're not, when teams are, aren't helping off of the three point shooters and he's just one on one, it's like I don't okay don't pass like score <laughs> that's what he's been doing. So I, I think that part of his game, particularly in isolation, is yeah. And I know some people like they got sick of ISO ball a couple of years ago with the Celtics. These are good isolation possessions. Like I'm happy that the isolation volume is up. And it was almost shocking in that game last Friday where Jonathan Isaac. He gave Tatum fits, to your point. That guy is long. He is rangy. I know he only plays like 20 minutes a game. That guy is an outstanding defender. We'll see how long he's on the court for the remainder of the season. He's always dealing with injuries. But the fact that that stuck out tells you how good Tatum has been. Because a lot of times, and the Celtics do a great job getting him switched on to smaller guys too, right? Like whether it be a point guard or a shooting guard. And quite frankly, most forwards are not as big as Tatum. So I think they've done an outstanding job getting him in those isolation matchups. All right. Another thing I love is reserve Al. So he started off kind of slow. I wonder if part of that was, hey, this guy is prideful. He's been in the NBA for what, a decade and a half. He was drafted in 2007. He's won two national championships. He's been an all NBA performer and he was going to the bench. Like that's not the easiest thing to do. And I understand everybody's pulling the rope in the same direction, but there was an adjustment. But ever since that spot start, I continue to point to this against Philly. And I know he's in the starting lineup right now because Porzingis has been dealing with the injury. But his last seven games, he's shooting 42.3% from deep. It's only 26 attempts, but still, he was shooting poorly at the beginning of the season. He's been awesome as a passer. The game against Chicago, he had the ball in transition, like bringing it up. He finds Tatum for an easy opportunity on the wing. He's been awesome in terms of his passing. I think he's the second best. He may be the best passer. I'd still put Derek White, number one, but he's right there. Like those are the two best passers on the team. And then you look at his isolation numbers defensively. This man is 37. He's guarded the second most isolations in the NBA. 32 possessions, 18 points, 0.56 points per possession. Guys are 7 of 28. They're shooting 25%. They're like significantly worse than Julius Randle this year shooting when they try to go against Al defensively. Julius Randle, by the way, is the worst shooter in the NBA from a percentage perspective. So those numbers, 90th percentile. And here's the big thing to me, Pina. And I know the numbers have ticked up a little bit lately because of the Porzingis injury. 30.5 minutes per game last year. He's at 25.8. We've talked about this in terms of him wearing down in the postseason last year. The shot was not there. I thought two years ago in the Warriors final, it looked like he wore down because he had gone up against Giannis for seven games. So that's going to wear you down. So just saving these minutes, like five minutes, that's a long time. People can run sub five miles, right? So I mean, you're not that Al can, but you're saving a lot of minutes. Not that a lot of guys run a sub five mile in a basketball game, but you get my point. Five minutes is an eternity when you're doing it on a night-to-night basis, and he's also not playing the Mm back-to-backs. And I do think the other way that you can continue to save minutes is he's not going to be playing with Porzingis when Porzingis gets back, right? Because you think about it, the double big lineup, and I know it's small sample size, it hasn't really been effective. Just Kristaps, Noel, 122.9 offensive rating. Just Al, no Kristaps, 118.2 offensive rating. So those are elite numbers. With both of them, it's 106.7. The only teams worse than that in the season are the Spurs, Grizzlies, and the Blazers. 
So it's not like you're going to go double big a lot with those guys. And we've seen a lot of these games. Joe's going deeper into the bench. And even if, say, you're not the biggest Cornette guy or the biggest Kata fan, although Kata the other day, the 10 rebounds, that was a crazy game. So, but my point with that is just, they're going to find ways to give Al rest throughout the season. And I do think this is the, that's why I never understood the idea of having Al Horford start and not come off the bench, because this is the easiest way to save minutes on a guy that's 37. So I love reserve Al. I think he's playing with purpose and he's playing with energy. I mean, he's blocking shots near his kid the other day at the game. So I think Al's been awesome in this bench role. And he looks, I hate to, I mean, maybe this is going to sound bad in a couple of months, but he, he looks spry for a guy his age. Al looks good. Um, as you said, at the start of the season, there were some um, hiccups, uh, particularly on the defensive end, and he looked a little... Uh, he looked his age in that Minnesota loss, particularly yeah. at the end. We talked about that last time I was on. But yeah, he's, you know, he's like really quick to shoot the three ball. Um, I feel like there's ways to look this up that I have not, but I feel like his release is a little quicker than it has ever been before, particularly above the break. But also like he's just ready. He's just like shot ready. He had a contested corner three. Um against the i think it was against the hawks early on in that game um where like you got to close out on al horford or he will let it fly over you um so he yeah he's been he's been really good and it's awesome to see him embrace the role that he's had um i actually like the i i feel like just given his passing as you said given his shooting and given his defensive versatility i don't really I want to see the, like, I don't mind the double big lineup with him and Chris Tapps. I want to see that actually a little bit more when both are healthy. Um, but yeah, he's been, he's been, he's been awesome. He's been really good so far. Oh, seven, man. That draft too. I heard some, I forget who mentioned this the other day, but you look at that draft, you still got like Durant still playing at a insanely high level. Jeff Green's still a contributor. Mike Conley's still a contributor. And here is Al Horford from the 07 draft. It's, pre- it's pretty wild. It really mm-hmm. is. Like to see him. And look, it, it's a credit to the fact that he's like taking good care of himself. And the other thing, anytime we talk about Alpina, thank you, Sam Presti, for basically shaving a year of his career off by putting him on ice. So that certainly has helped in the Al thing. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets when your first $5 Moneyline bet wins. All right, so I'm looking at two games coming up this weekend. I like Miami to cover the 9.5 against Washington. The Dolphins blow at a lot of teams, and the Washington organization is just a complete mess right now. I also like the Broncos to cover 3.5 in Houston. I'm tempted to take them on the money line at plus 150, but I'll take them... At three and a half, they've really turned it around there. Sean Payton's done an outstanding job. So I like Miami to cover the nine and a half against Washington and the Broncos as three and a half point dogs in Houston against the Texans. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use and there's so many different ways to bet. There's live same game parlays. You can find bets in the new Explore tab. Dive into the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Pike and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL, must be 21 plus in president select states. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. 
All right, you got another thing you like or a question? I I I got another thing I like. Um okay. and a couple questions, but I want to talk about Chris Dapps. Uh he could have been number 1 on this list for me, honestly. The three-point shooting has been streaky. Uh, but like what really stands out for me is he's at 70% on twos, 83% at the rim, solid defense. The stuff that is not as quantifiable, just the way he spaces the floor, his gravity is priceless on this team. Um, he's a really natural complimentary fit beside Jalen and Tatum. Um, the pick and roll game with Tatum has been really awesome. Those wide pin downs for Jalen have been terrific and they've like, helped unlock just in particular snippets of games uh Jalen's playmaking where it's as close to like a scripted read as he'll get and he can make those decisions and he's really good at it so I, I feel like Chris Stapps is just going I like I love Marcus Smart so much but just the types of players they are, are so different and going from Marcus who is less um complimentary in a traditional or whatever sense you want to put it whatever context um then chris Tapps, who is kind of like a, an ideal complimentary piece for for superstar talent like those two um the celtics are averaging 1.24 points per possession when he sets a ball screen which is a noisy number right now but it's also one of the highest in the league and kind of tracks with what he did last season and if you just look at the effective field goal percentages of several celtics who play with him a lot they're all better by a decent margin when they're on the court with KP versus off. So you have Jalen, 12% higher, 43% without Chris Stapps, uh, 56 with him. Drew Holiday is 46 without, 53.4 with. Tatum is 55 without, 59.4 with. So I feel like the shot quality is better. Uh, the shot making is better. And like he's accepted the sacrifice that this is all like I, one of the big questions i had coming into the season is how he was going to respond to fewer touches and um, i feel like the touches are like he gets the ball quite a bit on, yeah. on dribble handoffs on the perimeter um but his impact otherwise is just so pronounced that it's just like they're winning and he's really bought in on both ends and i like how they've used him defensively quite a bit and he's really smart on that side of the ball so um, his above the rim um, play as a role man has been pretty surprising to me, and we'll see if that is able to keep up. But again, just those numbers I said earlier, the from inside the arc shooting, seventy percent, great, um, and then eighty three percent at the rim is terrific. So I feel like the three when the three point shooting um, ticks up, it's at like thirty two percent right now. He's much he's a much better shooter than that, and like also. Much more important is just the gravity and uh, teams just like don't know what to do when he's on the court with um, like sticking a small on him. Like you can't really do that. You can't hide big men on this team when he's on the court with Jalen and Tatum and Drew and Derek White in particular. So he's been great. And um, I feel like it's a lot like I thought it was really like he He'd be awesome. He'd be a natural fit. I thought that before the season, but he's kind of exceeded my expectations in a lot of ways. 
Yeah, it's a great point on Porzingis because he's obviously fit in perfectly with this team. I love the trade at the time, even if you had to give up Marcus Smart. But the other thing is just he's different. This team has been in so many postseason series where the offense has been bad. Now, last year, the defense a little bit, too. But two years ago, the offense was an issue for this team. The one thing I do love, too, is the roles. You look at him this year. He was last year, 83 dunks tied for 27th. That was 9.5% of his shot attempts. This year, he's at 29 which is 14th despite missing three games, 17.9% of his attempts up from 9.5%, so almost eight and a half percentage points. And that means he's getting almost two dunks per game, 1.9 compared to 1.3. And there is an energy when he gets these alley-oops, like sometimes he likes to hang on the rim. My only concern about Porzingis, quite frankly, is a concern that I sometimes have with Jason Tatum. It's tease. He gets way too many tees. Like, dude, you got to chill. I'm like worried about it. Not that he's going to get kicked out of a game, but I'm worried about like the accumulation in a potential playoff series down the road where it's like, hey, you cannot pick up another tee for whatever reason. That would be my only critique of Chris Dubb so far this season. All right, Pina, do you have another question? I do. Um, is Jalen Brown going to make the all-star team? Ooh. Uh, he's still only 27. He should still be getting better. He has the lowest effective field goal percentage since his rookie year while taking slightly more shots per 100 possessions than Jason Tatum. His shot quality is lower this season than it was last year, despite being in a situation where it should be better because he should be getting better looks. And a lot of the bad shots he's taking are on him. The decision-making is, uh, to be nice, semi-erratic. He doesn't see passes or open teammates, and he's hunting bad shots. He's one of the least efficient high-volume isolation players in the league right now. Um, I have a lot of good things I can say about Jalen, for sure. Um, But I feel like when I'm watching him, I'm more frustrated just considering the season that he had last year, considering, like... His shots are down a little bit overall per game or whatever. Um, But he should be, like, just... He just... It seems like he's making the game harder than it needs to be, if that makes any sense. And I feel like there's a lot of time for things to turn around. And his two-man game with Chris Stapps has been unbelievable. There are these just blips where... Like, he had that possession against the Hawks where he, he like, locked up Trey Young in space, which is something so few players are able to do. And it's just his anticipation, his athleticism, the twitchiness. Like, I see things from him, and I'm like, why can't you do that almost every possession? Like, he just, he continues to get lost off ball. Jalen Suggs beat him backdoor, like, three times against the Magic. Infuriating. Um, And... At this point in his career, it's just there's so many things that can be cleaned up that have you kind of scratching your head with him. And so getting back to my initial question, it's just like you have the biggest, you know, not to make it about the contract, but you have the biggest contract in the history of the NBA. Are you even an all-star right now? And you should be. Like everything is you're in a in my opinion, a perfect situation um to like dominate. And some of his, you know, the effective field goal percentage stuff, some of it should tick back up. Like, I don't think he is as bad as the rim as his numbers suggest that he is, and he, w- he will or should be better. 
I like the aggression sometimes. Like he opens up the Bucks game just like driving by Giannis and dunking. Um, and you're just like, like I said earlier in this pod, like he has these stretches where he can just take over an entire game with his shot making. But the shots, even when they go in sometimes, they're like heat check shots. And I'm like, why did you take that? Like, <laughs> I just feel like this team and this offense can really, um, like, patience is their friend, given their spacing and skill and, like, ball and man movement should be at a high level with this team, um, given the players who he's usually surrounded by. Um, but I don't know, like, he's just, he's kind of confounding at times when he should be like dominant and so he's a little he's tricky for me to figure out and i don't know if i don't know if last year is who he is or if right now is who he is or if there's still room for improvement well, i know there's room for improvement but will he actually get there will he buy in a little bit better in terms of making the right reads that sequence against the magic where he just like drove into a crowd uh turned the ball over didn't know the set on the next possession ran by the ref said something to the ref, got a technical foul. It's like, oh my goodness. So like, I don't know. Like, who who is he? <laughs> like, yeah. And, you know what I mean? Like, is, is he an all-star? Like, what do you think? So I'm empathetic to the fact that he probably has to adjust his game more so than anybody else on the team, right? Because Porzingis, there's nobody like him on the team, so he's going to get his touches. Tatum's the star. He's the first team All-NBA guy, so he's going to get his opportunities. And like, Drew Holiday's already won a championship here. He's trying to come here and win another one. And Derek White, as we mentioned earlier, like even if we wanted him to take more shots, he probably won't. So I am sympathetic to that. But I don't think on merit he's an all-star this year. I hope that the coaches put him in the game because I do feel like you talked about him taking these heat check shots where he doesn't have to take them. I mean, Bill's talked about this on his pod. You just know when he's going to do it. Like he'll get the ball at the wing. You're like, okay, this one's going up. So I don't think on merit, but I do worry if he doesn't make it. Is he going to double down on those? Be like, I wasn't an all-star. What the hell? I got to take more shots. So I do sort of worry about that. And some of the things you mentioned there in terms of the rim numbers now, they've perked up a little bit since last time we talked. Like after that Minnesota game, he was horrible. He's like 65% since then, which still isn't good for Jalen Brown. Like he should be well over 70%, 71% last year. The thing to me is, he doesn't get into the paint anymore. So 9.2 points in the paint this year, which is 41st. Last year, post-All-Star break, he was at 15.5. This is how he got $300 million. It was getting out in transition and getting downhill, and he doesn't do that, and I know the team doesn't as well, but just in general, he doesn't get to the rim as much as he did, and to your point, the finishing hasn't been as good, but he's taking 7.23s per game. It was 7.3 last year. So it's basically the same number. And there's no way that Jalen Brown should be taking that many three-point attempts per game considering he's not a good three-point shooter. Like at the beginning of the season, he was kind of hot. Now he's back in that 34 percentage range. He's 34.4%, which is 122nd. Yet he's 21st in attempts. It just, those are not good shots for Jalen. And then his drive game, we mentioned Tatum, how great he's been on drives. So how about this? Tatum has 41 more points than Jalen does on 12 fewer drives. 12 fewer drives, and he has 41 more points. Jalen is 50% on drives compared to Tatum at 61.4%. So I don't know, man. Like, I do think this is, and I know people think that, hey, I mean, you just don't like Jalen. No, I like Jalen. My thing is just, I feel like out of all the guys you look at, he's the one guy that has been under the expectation that we had, even if we thought he had the biggest adjustment. Like, 
I don't think there is an argument right now, Pina, and correct me if I'm wrong. Is there an argument that he's the second best player on the team? Could you even mm. make that argument right now? Like, as through 18 games, not like based on merit and based on what he did last year, through 18 games. Like, I think you could make an argument that he's closer to fourth than second. Through 18 games, uh, yes, I would agree with that. Um, I have a stat for you. So, you know, you go to basketball reference, adjusted shooting, points added by overall shooting, which is the number of extra points added by true shot attempts made above league average. Uh, Jalen is at minus 21.4, which is the worst on the entire team. Whoa. Um, which is ju- it's just like jar- it's a jarring number. Um, and it's one of the worst in the league. It, it, like, his shots per direct touch versus his passes versus assists per direct touch are all, like, better than they were last year, which is, like, really surprising to see. And, but when I just watch him play, I just, I, I don't agree with those numbers. Like, my eyes don't tell me that at all. I feel like there is a, um, like, the decision making just isn't where it needs to be sometimes, and I, I do think like if we're talking talent, yeah, he's still the second most talented player on the team. Like, there, I don't think there's anyone who's debating that. I mean, maybe there are people who are debating that. Um, and his ceiling and what he can be and how important he is is still like humongous. But it's just like he he should be. Like he could be what like he's in a position where he could be like hyper efficient. Like yeah, he could. There are plays where he like he'll back cut and dunk, and you'll just be like, why? Like there's so much space. If you move like this, you would get such good looks. But the way he kind of holds the ball, he record scratches. He, um, you know, it's just it's it's a uh, it's a little frustrating. See, and I, I'm a huge fan of his game. Always have been. I thought he was the best player when they made the finals on the team. I know Tatum was hurt or whatever, and the defensive coverages were different. But I thought Jalen was the best player or played the best in that series against the Warriors. Um, and he has such experience in the postseason, and he's come up time and time again. Um, huge for this team, but coming off like the Heat series, which is the last time we saw him in the playoffs and he was absolutely wretched and he was outplayed by one of the Martin twins um, for a seven game series, which is pretty wild to right now. I just, I, I, there's so much more I want to see from him. And I I feel like if he doesn't make an all-star team, it'll be like kind of just bizarre. Like he scored, I know it was an all-star game, but he scored 35 in that all-star game. He was like one of the best, like he's, he's just really good and he should be better than he is right now. Yeah, I'm with you. And the concern would be, like right now, if you ask me, hey, is Jalen going to win you a playoff game or is he going to do some stuff to lose you one? I feel like it's more likely that he's going to lose you one right now than have, because we've seen him at times, like to your point against the Warriors, have these outstanding playoff performances. But that's still, to me, at the beginning of the season was the number one concern with the Celtics. And it's my number one concern right now, like health excluded, obviously, but can Jalen fit in? And so far this season, there's been games where he has, but I don't think we've seen it for the majority of the year where I feel like everybody else has sort of fit in. All right, Pina, so before I let you go, I got some rapid fire for you. Rank these reserves. Al, Hauser, Sammy Snipes, Sniper Sam, whatever you want to call him, the guy has been unbelievable, or Peyton Pritchard, or Peyton Pritchard. How would you rank those three? I mean, Al brings like so much, but Hauser, man, that one skill. 55.6% on corner threes. Are you kidding me? 
Uh, no cornet. Wow. No. Jeez he can't Louise. catch. He can't catch Pina. Why can't he catch? I don't understand that. I love cornet. Um. Okay, I would put Horford. I mean, Horford, Hauser, Pritchard, I guess is what I would say. Fair. Okay, I, that could easily change if Hauser I, goes cold, but I think Hauser's actually played really well this year. In other yeah, ways. his catch-and-shoot numbers are through the roof, too. He's in the top five in catch-and-shoot um, catch threes in terms of makes. All right, rank these three players. This is a tough one. Tatum, Booker, Edwards. Just like you said it. Okay. Yeah, I'm with you. I like Edwards a lot. Somebody asked me about Edwards the other day. Somebody. It was my brother. He asked me. He's like, I'm with my boss. He's from Minnesota. I love Edwards, but he's 6'4". It's very rare we see a 6'4 guy, and I love him, but 6'4 and under, like best guys recently on a championship team, Curry, the greatest shooter of all time, and Dwayne Wade, who had Shaq. So I love him, He's and we saw him D up Tatum at the end of the game, but Booker is a great shot maker, too. Although Booker, he's had some... Bad moments in the postseason, I'll say that. Now, so is Tatum, but I, I'd put Tatum one, two, just because of the size. 6'8", can defend multiple positions. Da, All I, right. can, can I just say real quick, Devin Booker dropped 40 twice in an NBA Finals. Like he, True. He, True. People, there's this like narrative that I'm seeing about his elimination game performances and like whatever. That's like a three-game sample size. But like if you drop 40 in a Finals twice, you're amazing. So I'll say this. this. This may be recency bias for me because... I was watching the Suns Raptors last night. He was absolutely terrible in that game. Yes. He was atrocious. And that was the final leg of a parlay that would have won me $300 was the Suns <laughs> to beat the Raptors. Not spread, just on the money line. And he screwed me over. So maybe that's part, that's part of the reason I put that, that in there, maybe. <laughs> All right. Rank these bigs. Chris Stops, Pounds, who last time you were on, Pete, I called him the kitten, but I got to take that back. He's played outstanding. Like I told you, this, man. Towns yeah. is good. He's got this drive game going now, which I didn't see coming. And Sabonis. Kristaps Town Sabonis. Um, that's an interesting question just because of how like context would really matter here. Yeah. But I'll go Sabonis Towns Kristaps. Ooh, okay. The thing that concerns me about Sabonis is just the defense in the postseason. And we're going to see this with Kristaps, but teams don't get to the rim with Porzingis on the floor, so we'll see. But yeah, Sabonis, he's weird, man. He's got the T-Rex thing. You don't see that with a lot of NBA players. It's like him, Kelly Olenek, and Desmond Bain like that have the shorter wingspan than their actual height. Like He's got some... The wingspan just... But I would would probably go after... I mean, I take my kitten comment back. He's been outstanding. I think I'd go Kristaps, though. Like To your point about situation, like the situation he's in, sort of highlights his skill set more than the rest of these guys. I guess Cat kind of gets to... He's been better on defense, too, actually. Like, I give him credit for that. All right, rank these threats to the Celtics. Philly, Orlando, Miami, Milwaukee. <laughs> Philly, Orlando, Miami, Milwaukee. Like, in a playoff series? Yeah. I'll say Philly, number one threat. Miami, Milwaukee, Orlando. I do it the same way. I, the reason I put Orlando in there is I think they match up well, and we saw the game the other day. They have so many guys that are long, and you would hope they make a move. And maybe they don't because, you know, they still have their future in front of them, but maybe they can add, like, a, like the one thing they don't do, they cannot shoot. They don't have enough shooting on that team, so I wonder if they make a move there. Philly, yeah, that's been a great surprise, and they could make a move if they wanted to. The Milwaukee thing, it's just the defense. And when we saw that game before Thanksgiving, I'm like, they don't, 
And I know they made it close at the end, which is another thing. I don't know what was going on at the end of the game from the Celtics, but that yeah. team right now, like, and who do they have coming back? Jay Crowder? Like, Jay Crowder's going to cover Jason Tatum? I mean, I don't know if he could have covered Jason Tatum when Jason Tatum was playing high school in St. Louis. Like, at this point, he can't cover him. All right. Now, I get, have you seen the Sam Cassell Zenny commercial? It's like, it, it comes on like during every game for the Celtics. I have. I have. Okay. Okay. So rank these commercials. Sam Cassell Zenny, Tatum Subway, where they try to give him the Philly cheesesteak and he just doesn't say anything, which I think is pretty funny because it's Philly. Or the Tatum Sports Center commercial, which, and I'm not just saying this because it's Tatum, it's excellent where they go into the meeting and basically they announce him like he's getting introduced into a game and then they introduce like the sports center anchors like where they're coming from in college. <laughs> that that one to me is awesome. So how would you rank those? Have you seen that one? I have not, but I will put okay. I'll do Subway one, the commercial I haven't seen, two. And I love Sam Cassell. Um he's awesome in every way. And the Celtics post game, everyone in the like their post up numbers being better, I just attribute to Sam Cassell because that was his thing when he played. Um, but I'll put it. I gotta put him number three. Yeah, the the Tatum Sports Center one. I encourage watching that one because it's really funny. It was a great idea. Now I know they've had a ton of those great This Is Sports Center commercials, but it's a great idea where it's like number zero from Duke, Jason Tatum, and he like walks into the room and he's waving to everybody. Like it's it's pretty funny. I do like the Subway one too. Tatum's a big commercial guy. Now I I was not the biggest fan of the Ruffles one where it's the one where they're like in the vending machine where Barkley's going to get his like Doritos or Ruffles. I should say. I just think that one is just. Weird. I did go back. I don't know how I ended up on this, but Sam Cassell, he did a commercial back in the day with Kenny Anderson for Reebok when, uh-huh. and I think it was their mothers were like talking about them and they were like showing highlights. I'm like, man, I didn't know Sam Cassell had a commercial back in the day, but I knew he talked a lot of trash. He did the whole thing, like the big balls thing when he hit the threes when he was with the Rockets. So Legend. I, I love Sam Cassell. All right. That is Michael Pina from The Ringer. Pina, thank you so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. Brian, thank you so much, man. Anytime. All right. Great stuff there from Pina, as always. Really enjoy talking Celts with Pina. 14 and 4, getting ready for the in-season tournament, getting ready for Philly. It's been an awesome stretch for the Celtics. We will get to an email and get our picks in just a second here. So we bring in producer extraordinaire, Jamie McClellan. Jamie, what's going on, man? How are you? Yo, yo. I'm good, Brian. How are you? Good, man. Good. So by the way, you've seen the Zenny commercial, right? Which one? I've seen the seen Sports this? Center one. Okay, you've seen the Sports Have you seen the Sam Cassell Zenny? Like the I don't get a one? lot of the local ones, Brian. I was watching when I was home for Thanksgiving. I was like, what are all these ads? We get like the same two ads on NBC Sports, the streaming app. It's kind of driving me crazy, actually. Yeah, it, dude, this Zenny one, you got to see it. It plays over <laughs> and over again. And I'm not saying it's horrible. It's just, it's every two seconds you see yeah. this Zenny ad. It's Well, maybe incredible. it's not so different then. But yeah, they, the NBC Sports plays the same ads, man. It's great. It's driving me crazy. Yeah, a lot of the league pass, they only play like a couple. And yeah. Then it's, it just, a lot of times it'd be like in break or whatever. That's what it'll say on your league pass, like when you're watching the game. I prefer All right, let's, that. Get to, let's get to an email. That email address is offthepike at gmail.com. What do we got, Jamie? Uh, this is about the Patriots and Mac Jones. This is from Scott in Portland, Maine. Scott writes, everybody has a theory on why Mac's career has deteriorated and why he has regressed since a promising rookie season. I was impressed with his ability to stand in the pocket his rookie year, and I remember how much punishment he took. In my opinion, his career has never been the same since the high ankle sprain that left him howling in pain at the start of last season. I recall that on the on-field microphones, picking up his painful screams, 
Nobody talks about this as a turning point. I think his inability to handle pressure and make good decisions is a byproduct of that injury. He played in pain coming back too early to keep a starting job and develop bad habits trying to play injured and avoid further injury, i.e. throwing on his back foot, rush pocket play. How come no one points to this injury as a factor in his poor play? I guess you could have used it last year, but I don't think you can use it anymore. It's a good point. Maybe that is the turning point. I feel like he was playing poorly before that too, though. Like, I don't think Mac was playing well before the injury. I understand the point where you're going to be the ankles tender, you're being cautious. So, I mean, maybe that was part of the factor. I just think that if that was the issue, he's had plenty of time to recover from the ankle. Like, there's no way the ankle was bothering him this year. I mean, you could say maybe it's mental, like in terms of that has weighed on him for a long time. But I just think he's he's in his own head. James White has said it multiple times. I agree with him. I think he's not in his own head. So I don't think it's the injury. I mean, it's a fair question. The other thing I would say is I just don't think he's good. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't think, I don't think this like he was OK as a rookie. Like he was pretty good as a rookie. I'm not going to take that away from him. But it wasn't like you looked at him. You said, hey. This is going to be an unbelievable quarterback. At best, he was going to be a pretty good player. I just think that he's regressed and he's not that good. I don't think there's, at this point, any single thing. Like, even if the personnel is not great, even if the coaching hasn't been great, Mac's just not that good of a player right now, bottom line. And I don't think he's really, like, is he salvageable to be competent? Yeah, maybe, but I don't know who would really want to do that. Like, he's never going to be a high-end starter, so I think maybe he's a high-end backup, but the problem with him being a high-end backup he turns the ball over like crazy. You don't want that in your backup, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think he definitely needs a year or two just to sit on the bench and take some practice reps because, yeah, he's 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 not, not thinking straight right now. So, yeah, I can't see him starting next year anywhere. But, you know, he could be a backup down the road. I will say, though, I think it is a bit surprising how much he's regressed since his rookie year. Like, I've seen some highlights. And I'm like, I don't, I don't even recognize this guy. Yeah, yeah, he, he did have a decent rookie year. But, yeah, for yeah. sure, he's not the same guy. And all signs point to him not starting. We're recording on right. Thursday morning. It looks like he's not going to start. All the reporting is that Zappi, and by the way, Zappi's gotten the reps at practice this week. Mm-hmm. Hopefully there's a Malik Cunningham package in there as well. But it looks like Max Days as the Patriots starter are officially over. He's done as the Patriots starter. And this is where they're at as they get ready for the Chargers. It's going to be Zappi time. And right now the Chargers are six-point favorites entering that game at Gillette on Sunday. So just getting into that a little bit. Yep. One thing that concerns me from a Patriots winning perspective, because we want them to lose. Herbert has had arguably the two worst games of his career against the Patriots. Rookie season, 43.7 passer rating, 209 yards, completed just 49.1% of his passes, two interceptions, 3.9 yards per attempt. And remember, he won the rookie of the year that year. That was like his one really bad game. 2021, a 66.7 passer rating, 18 of 35, 51.4%, two TDs, two interceptions. So this is one thing that concerns me, is the fact that Justin Herbert has been bad against the Patriots. Okay, the other thing that has me concerned about a possible Patriots win, because now I'm not concerned about them losing, my concern is could they win? Brandon Staley stinks as a coach, and their defense stinks. He's supposed to be a defensive guy. They are 29th in yards per play at 5.8. Teams are scoring on 38.8% of possessions. That's 27th. The the opposing passer rating is 98.7, which is 30th. And they're giving up 2.16 points per drive, 28th. So their defense has been horrible. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I would mention is if you look at some of the stuff here with Bailey Zappi, and like I said, I expect Cunningham to play, but Zappi last week 
Like what they asked him to do, and he still fucked it up with that interception. The one time they had him like actually throw the ball down the field, and he shouldn't have made that decision throwing into three Giants. But his average depth of target last week was 2.3 yards. Lowest in the NFL. The lowest average depth of target on the season for a quarterback is 7.2. He was at 2.3 last week, Jamie. Okay. Also, 46.7% of his dropbacks were via screens. So seven of his 15, 46.7%. So almost half of his dropbacks were screens. If you look at this on the season, the highest rate is 27.9% on the season. That is, excuse me, sorry. The closest guy last week was 27.9%. The closest guy in the season is 16.8%. That's the highest rate, which is Will Levis, 16.8%. Zappi was at 46.7%. Like he was not playing professional football last week. This was, hey, we just had our quarterback throw more interceptions, Mac Jones, than basically all but two players in the NFL. Just don't screw it up. He still found a way to screw it up, but that's how easy the game plan was. So We'll see what they let Zappi do in this game. This is what I'll point to, though. The Chargers, they're 23rd in success rate. They're 21st in rush EPA, okay, in terms of their defense. The Patriots since week nine, and this is something that is not good with Bill O'Brien. The Patriots since week nine are third in rush EPA. They've run the ball really well. They're second in rush success rate since week nine. Only the Ravens are better, and the Ravens have a running quarterback, as everybody knows. Ramondre's last three games... 273 yards on 50 carries, 5.5 yards per carry. If you look around the league, running backs with at least 112 attempts, there are none that are north of 5.5 yards per carry on the season. Ramondre's done that over the past three weeks. And so it brings me this whole idea of why last week did they throw the ball 35 times? They were at 3.7 yards per attempt and they ran it 31 times 4.7. And look, I know you can say, hey, Brian, you got to throw the ball a little bit. Yeah, I totally understand that. But also, your forward pass has been hurting the team. Like, you should have just... Ramondre and Zeke should have combined for, Mm -hmm. like, 40 carries because Zeke was good running the ball in that game as well. So that, to me... And by the way, like, we criticize Mac, We criticize Bill for the draft picks. I'll tell you this about O'Brien. He's been horrible, too. Like, the way that he's coached this offense over the past three games... Look at these numbers with the rush success. How are you not running the football more? This is a 10-7 game. So I, I don't want to get worked up because I hope Bill O'Brien keeps doing what he's doing because you'll lose games. Right. But you get my point. It's like yeah. he has been bad. And that was supposed to be sort of an improvement for this team. Okay. So the other note that we have to mention, the Patriots brought in a guy by the name of Matthew Wright. You're saying, who the fuck is Matthew Wright? <laughs> well, he's a kicker. They had to bring in a new kicker. The kicker they drafted in the first in the fourth round, Chad Ryland, the highest specialist ever drafted in the Belichick era. Chad Ryland has been a mess. So by the way, this guy, Matthew Wright, has played for, and not all these teams he actually played for, like he was on the practice squad or in training camp, but here's his trip around the NFL and also not in the NFL, the Steelers, the Tampa Vipers. I, I, don't, I don't care to look Tampa up if Vipers. that was, yeah, I don't know if that was XFL or whatever Arena. that league was. Yeah. A, what was it like something? I forget the one league, but anyway, the Steelers, Again, the Lions, the Jags, the Chiefs, the Steelers again, the Chiefs again, the Panthers, the 49ers, and the Falcons. Oh, my God. 46 career attempts. He's hit 40. The reason they bring this guy in is Chad Ryland is 64.7%. That's 32nd out of 33 qualifiers. Only Graham Gano is worse. If you're wondering, Nick Folk tied for third, 22 of 23, 95.7%, and Ryland was drafted 
in the fourth round. So you're already bringing in a kicker for a guy that you just drafted and you got rid of a kicker that was good. That's how much of a mess this season has been. Okay, so I say all that to say they barely let Zappi throw the ball. They've been running the ball well. They they should have dug into the running game more. Herbert has been bad against the Patriots. And Brandon Staley is one of the worst coaches in the job. In the NFL, he's going to lose his job. Maybe this is a loser-leave-town game in terms of the coaches. Now, I don't think they'd fire Bill mid-season, but if if Staley loses, he's going to get fired, I think. Okay, maybe they'll just leave him in New England. Not that anybody would want to pick him up like another (laughs) team or something along those lines because the defense has gotten worse. So I say all this is like this is a winnable game on paper because of Herbert, because the defense stinks. If Bill O'Brien actually just runs the ball because it's not like the Chargers are going to stop you. The Patriots do have a chance to win. And Mac's not part of it. And Mac is, as the boss says, like the greatest tanking quarterback of all time. You don't have that element. So this is a winnable game. With all that being said, I think the Chargers win this. Now, I would be cautious about the six points. Like I I could see the Patriots somehow keeping it close and then the Chargers do something late to win the game. Or Mm -hmm. the Chargers pull away late. I would just, I wouldn't bet this game if I was going to bet it. I would take the Chargers to cover the six points. I don't feel uber confident in that. I don't know how you could with a guy like Brandon Staley on the other side and the struggles that Herbert has had against the Patriots. So I'll take the Chargers. And if I had to make the pick, I would take the Chargers to cover the six. But I won't play this on Sunday, but I do think the Chargers will cover the six. I'm just not super confident Mm. in it. How about you, Jamie? This is actually one of my two bets this week, Brian. Ooh, I like the Pats plus six, man. I think basically everything you just said, I, I mean, so far they've they've actually covered at least six points in five of their last six games, which does include one win. But if we've seen this team, we see them play really good defense and absolutely atrocious offense. And that, to me, leads to close games in which they lose. That's what happens. And I think it's going to happen again. on so I, just, I think six points is a huge spread for a really solid scoring defense. So I, I like that amount of points. I agree with you. I think they'll probably lose. Although, you know, like you and what Simmons says, that Mac is the ultimate tanker, I think it does definitely help their chances getting him out of the game because for a reason, like you mentioned, Bill O'Brien seems to, you know, the playbook, at least in passing-wise, is so much bigger with Mac Jones in the game. When he's not in the game, they, like, are forced to use their best player, Ramondre Stevenson. So, yeah, I think that's going to happen. So, again, I think I think the Pats could win in this game outright, but I at least like the plus six. And you mentioned Stevenson. You know his over-under is 60 and a half yards? Like, that's oh. incre- it's incredibly low. I think I'm going to hammer that. He's hit that the last three games. And they're going to use him a lot because they have an inexperienced quarterback. Yeah, hammer the Stevenson over. And I wouldn't even say hammer. Yeah, hammer that, man. They better give him the ball. I mean, if they, if they actually try to win, they'll give him the ball. If they're trying to lose, they won't. Yeah. I, I don't know what... Maybe Bill O'Brien's just clueless. I don't know. I thought he'd be better as an offensive coordinator, like it would help the team. And look, yeah. I'm not telling you that he's not. He hasn't been good in his past, but he's not been good in this team. Year. And yeah, he's been limited. I get it with personnel and all that. But like last week, there's no reason for not running the I ball don't. 40 times based on where the game was. Right. All right. So getting to one of my bets, I have a parlay thanks to our friends at FanDuel. Plus 322, Jamie. I won for it again. Like last that. week, we hit the plus 168. <laughs> So we're juicing it up. I'm going to take the Dolphins on an alternate line of minus six or minus six and a half rather against Washington. So just to win by a touchdown, it's a big line. It's nine and a half. I actually think they'll cover that. But for the sake of the parlay, I put it down to six and a half. Okay. And then I'm going to take the Steelers on the money line at home against that dreadful Cardinals team. And then give me the red hot Broncos three and a half point dogs 
in Houston against the Texans. Mm. That's plus 322. Dolphins minus six and a half against Washington. And then you have the Steelers on the money line against the Cardinals and the Broncos to cover three and a half in Houston. That's plus 322. I like that. I actually, I like that you uh, brought the line down a bit on the Dolphins. What is it? It's nine and a half or something? Nine and a half, yeah. Because that's big. Nine and a half. So I like the touchdown moving that down. I think that was a smart move. And look, the Russell Wilson thing, five game winning streak, eight TDs, no picks. It's not like he's throwing for a ton of yards, but... In three of those games, he's, run, he's rushed for over 30 yards. So he's been solid. I mean, it's obviously it's not prime Russell Wilson, but he's been pretty solid for them. No, he looks better for sure. He's and moving the, around. He's zipping the, around. The de- yeah, the defense for Houston is not, not that mm-hmm. good. Like, Stroud's awesome and all that. I could see this being another one of those games where... Yeah, close. Yeah, so I think they'll cover that three and a half. I actually think they're going to win. I almost took them to win on that, but I'm like, for the sake of the parlay, let's take the three and a half. Yeah, wise. I like that. Smart decision. Um, like I said, I think the Pats are going to win, but a fun, you know, a fun little parlay is I found you take the Pats plus six and you take their under 17 and a half points, which I is like, like a crazy combination of things. But as we've seen, this is what they do. They, they've done that in four of their last six games. They score. What like, does that you know, come out to? It's oh yeah. Right. Good point. Plus five seventeen. Not bad. Plus right? five seventeen. Well, because it's like a crazy idea. They're going to cover the spread and not yeah. score any points. But that's true. what they do. That's true. I mean, they could they could win. Like, I mean, they could lose seventeen to fourteen. They lost. They've scored seventeen points twice in the losses where they covered their spread. And then last two weeks they scored six and seven points, but again covered their spread. So again, they have a pretty good defense and an atrocious offense. So I think there's something there. All right, I like that, Jamie. And another thing I'm looking at, this is just a fun touchdown parlay. I put $10 on that. That's it, 10 bucks. This is plus 4,693. <laughs> so $10 to win $469. Okay, that's what All I right. put in. It's an anytime TD parlay. Bijan Robinson against the Jets, because he can break one. Sure. Get, a, get a reception at like the 50 and break it or something along those lines. Tyree Kill against the Commanders. I don't really have to explain that. Ryan Robinson against the Dolphins, because I feel like this guy scores a touchdown every week now. Derrick Henry against the Colts. Christian McCaffrey against the Eagles. And Ramondre against the Chargers. So 10 for $469. That's just a fun one I had there. How many How many players is that, Brian? That is a six-leg touchdown parlay. <laughs> 10 bucks, man. Come Why on. not? Why not? Come on. I'm feeling lucky. You're buying me dinner if you hit that. I will. I'll, I'll definitely buy you dinner if I win that. All right, so you got any other picks, Jamie? I got one last one, just a straight-up spread. I always like to keep something vanilla, but I got Eagles plus 2.5 at home against the Niners. I just can't... What's well, going yeah. on with that line? They're why 10 why and are one. the Eagles dogs? I don't know. They're 10-1. Like, They're the best team in the league. It's insanity I don't get it. to me. Like, and this was early in the week that that line came out. Oh. It's not like there was like, oh, A.J. Brown's not playing, no. or there's some Insulting. sort of... It's just weird. I, I don't quite frankly understand why that san francisco is going to philly i know it's gonna be rocking there it's like a late game it's gonna be like nighttime end of november in philly like i just don't quite get it. And i think also like locker room bolton board stuff you know the philly is not gonna like that they're not favored at home i think you know obviously the niners are gonna be motivated because they lost the nfc championship but the eagles are gonna be motivated to win, win them so it's like i just think that's getting points at home as the yeah. best team in the league you don't get that very often I'm with you, man. I was amazed when I saw that line. I didn't, but yeah. like, I thought at first, I'm like, wait, 
No, it's bizarre. Wait, is this it, the Niners are favored in Philly? What the hell? That just that is really really weird. So I like that pick. Nice. Now watch like now watch the fact that I said that like San Francisco goes out and wins by like three touchdowns. Or no way! Like no way! All right. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention is so there's been like now rumblings. Bill to the Panthers. Cam Newton talked about it. I think I think he was on Barstool or something. But Cam Newton says it's a win 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 if he goes to the Panthers. Okay. He's not going to the Panthers. Belichick. If Belichick gets fired or they decide he's not going to the Panthers, they don't have the number one pick mm-hmm. and they should have the number one pick. They're the worst team in the NFL. There's no way he's going to that rebuilding situation. Like the yeah. Chargers are the one team to me that still makes sense. Washington, that's a rebuild as well. Like the Chargers aren't a great team, but at least they have Herbert. Like there's no way Bill's going to go to Carolina and coach that crappy Panthers team. He may not even like the quarterback to begin with. So to or me, the owner. Yeah, or the owner, right? Like, yeah, David Tepper just, I don't know what his deal is. Matt Rule and then Frank Reich. I mean, I could have told you that Frank Reich was going to stink, but (laughs) anyway, it didn't, like, that to me, the the Panthers stuff, it makes no sense to me whatsoever. All right, one more thing, Jamie, before we go. Just upgrading, or updating, rather, the suck board here. Cardinals at the Steelers, I put that in one of the parlays. I, I don't give this Cardinals a good chance to win that game just based on the defense that Pittsburgh has. And then you have... The Panthers at the Bucks. Okay. Like Intriguing. that like the the Bucks have been playing poorly. Like that's not a good that's not a good Tampa like at the beginning of the season there was all like, oh, is Baker having a renaissance? Is he actually good? It's like right. Tampa Tampa's not good. That's a sneaky one. Like the the fact that you fire the coach, you get the yes, boost. You get a boost. The, you get the boost after Frank Reich's out of the building. So that one to me, I give them a chance. I, I don't really give the Cardinals much of a chance. I'd love to see it. I just, I don't give them much of a chance because I don't like the Steelers anyway, but I don't give them much of a chance. I do give the Panthers a legit shot in this game. Yeah, I mean, like, like, I think the Bucks will probably win, but they have a shot. And like you said, they're scuffling. They're one in six, Brian, in the last seven games. Terrible. And I just heard uh, Baker's on the injury report. He's got an ankle injury, so they definitely mm. got a shot. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. That would be huge. That would be huge for the tank situation Good for, for the, the Panthers. Tank all right, Jamie, good stuff, man. Thank you, Brian. All right, make sure to get your voicemails in, 617-396-7172. If you want to leave us a voicemail after the Pats and the Chargers on Sunday, James White will be with us, so make sure to get those in. Or if you want to react to what the Celtics have been doing, make a prediction for the Celtics and the Pacers and the in-season tournament, you can do that as well. Or if you're watching the game on Friday night and you see the Celts and the Sixers, you want to react to that, leave us a voicemail. You can also email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Strudy for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia. 
or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.